So we want to dedicate the shiur, of course, to Fuashlema, uh, and uh, safe return for everybody. Safe return and Fuashlema, and um, what did I say? We should see Nisim and the floods and all kinds of. Uh, you know, miracles and um, get everybody back safe. And the Kaddish Baruch Hu should show everybody who's, uh, who's the real boss here. Okay. Um, hi, Naomi. Hi. Hi, Hannah. Okay. So I see those of you there. Okay, so without further ado, I'm going to screen share. So we're up to Perak Hafalif in Shmuel Aleph. And Perak Hafalif is a kind of, it's a, we're at a turning point in the life of David. And um, we've seen at the end of the um end of chapter 20, the parting of Yonatan and David. And it's sort of, we're told, it's sort of like uh, um, the end of the road for this, you know, very, very close friendship. They're not going to be able to have a normal relationship after this. We could look at the last psukim. Um, they reiterate their um, their commitment to each other. They they hug and they part and um, and we see something very interesting here. Parakaf Aleph begins as a continuation here. Pasik Aleph. Bayaka Mayelach, Yehonatan Ba'ir. David and Yonatan, Yehonatan, they really part ways. David has to go. He's now going to begin his life as a fugitive. And Yehonatan goes back to the city, goes back to his life, goes back to his father. So there's something of a, a kara, a, a split here between these two friends that's going to um, go further. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's a real pardon. Now, David's at a very tough, a tough crossroads here. Like, what is he supposed to do? So we saw in Perak Yutet, we saw that he felt Shaul's animosity and he tried different things. He tried, he went to Yonatan and he went to Shmuel. In, in my opinion, the story with Shmuel is a really a, a kind of enigma. You know, Shmuel is able to save him temporarily and to push off Shaul's messengers and eventually Shaul. But he doesn't take any more active step. Now the Medrash says 
that Shmuel and David were discussing the future and where would the Beit HaMikdash be and everything like this. But in a very real sense, Shmuel has kind of stepped off the stage and he's not getting involved here. So David has a problem. Where is he going to run to? Where is he going to go? He's now quite convinced it, it's uh, the last parak, parak Chaf, which is the Haftorah Mahar Chodesh. We have this elaborate um, setup to find out what are the real motivations of Shaul. And it becomes absolutely clear that Shaul is determined to kill David. And there is no, there's no more, there's no going back. You can't pretend. So this is, this is the beginning of a whole new chapter. Now, Shmuel would be the logical person to help him because Shmuel is the one who anointed him, but Shmuel is not getting involved. It could be, I theorize here, my own personal theory, it could be that Shmuel is just still, he cannot, he cannot get involved here because he's very, very close to Shaul. And um, he, he supports what Hashem wants, but he's not the man of the moment. So David is really on his own. Now, it seems that David's next step is going to be to find out, not by way of Shmuel, but by way of the Kohen Gadol, what is he supposed to do? The, the reason I'm saying this is because if we look at, at chapter 21, there are two basic parts. It's actually a very short chapter. Um, I'm not sure that I liked it, but it broke it up. Um, you see here, this is the when David is talking to Achimelech, and then this is the whole discussion of what he does for him. Um, but really from verse... 11 to the end is really the second story. There's really two stories here and only two stories. One story is David in Nov and one story is David in Gat. So, so really the first place he goes is to Nov. And let's think about Nov for a second. What is Nov? Now we have to remember what was the story with the Mishkan at Shiloh. Back in chapter four in Parak Dalit, Shiloh is destroyed. We don't really see that in the text, but we know that the Aron of Hashem is taken into captivity by the Plishtim. It rolls around the Plishtim chapter, hey, chapter Vav, right? And it is returned by the Plishtim to Beit Shemesh and eventually lands in Kiryat Yarim, which today is Telstone, and it sits there. So right now the Aron is in Kiryat Yarim. What happens to the rest of Shiloh? And that we can only conjecture. It seems as if Shiloh is no more. And from other references around, it seems that this Shiloh is dis destroyed. And then we find out that in Nov, we have a city of Kohanim. There's a city of priests. And um, it seems as if they transferred the rest of the Mishkan to this place, Nov. Now, if you look at the map, and I love maps. Okay. Here we have Yerushalayim. Right there. Now, North Yerushalayim is a little bit here in this place called Anatot. 
And here's Shiloh. Shaul's, uh, this is Binyamin territory, north of Yishalayim. And Shaul is Binyamin, of course. And right here is what we call Gibat Shaul. We're talking here not about the Gibat Shaul of today, the Dresher of Felit. We're talking about the biblical Gibat Shaul where Shaul the king had his capital. And that's north of Yishalayim. And here it is. So it seems logical to assume that if Shiloh is gone, that they moved the the rest of the Mishkan situation and the, and the Kohanim to a place in Binyamin, because that's where the king is. And the Gothmaker suggests that, uh, I actually found this funny, that Nov is actually where Shuafat is today. So um, having lived many years in that area, I could tell you it's very, very close to Shuafat. And um, yeah, sure fun. So the Kohenim are there, and we find out later there's 85 Kohenim, and they seem to have set up a kind of Mishkan-like situation. But we have to understand that halachically is we don't have the halacha of having a central place of worship. They are now in a galut situation, which means you can bring sacrifices in other places, and that's called heter bamot. There's now mutar. It's now permitted to make sacrifices on, on a bama. And no would be considered a bama tzibur, a, a um, communal bama, but it's not actually a mishkan. And we don't actually have a mishkan until uh, Shlomo Melech builds the Beit HaMikdash. So we're in a state situation um, uh, which is kind of out of the loop. But David goes to know, because there are things in know that he needs. And I, if you recall, I mentioned to you last time that Yonatan has uh, many, many fine qualities, but he is not a Jewish mother. And the Gemara actually talks about it and says if Yonatan would have only given David food, this whole terribly tragic episode which culminates in chapter 22 we'll see the, the tragedy uh, next week but it, the whole situation wouldn't have happened but by the time David gets to know he is famished he is hysterically hungry and the the refreshing call it which is very interesting um uh find it for you because it's an interesting word. Here. Oh, it's really further up there. Okay. So I'm sorry, I'm not finding the particular Rashi and I don't want to take time with it. But the Mepharshim say that David had a situation which was called bulmus. Bulmus seems to be um, a Greek word or something, I'm not sure, Greek, because we have a modern eating disorder, it's called bulimia, and it seems to be related. That's my place. The point being that there's apparently some kind of starvation situation where if a person is in a state of bulmus, the Gemara talks about it, I didn't bring you this particular word, that if a person is in a state of bulmus, 
He must eat. Not eating is dangerous. He's actually in a life-threatening situation. And if he doesn't eat, he's going to die. So this is where David was at. David has not had anything to eat for days. This is the three days of the experiment with Yonatan. And now he's traveled for, and he's this, it's safe to assume that this is the fourth day, that he has had nothing to eat. And when he gets to know, he, he simply must have food. That's the first most important thing. But he has a problem because... He's in a new status now. He cannot tell anybody what's going on with him and Shaul because he, they, what's going to happen to Achimelech? You have to think about it from David's point of view. If he tells Achimelech what's going on, he's running away from Shaul, he is now going to be in a terrible category that's called Moreid Malchut, a rebel against the king. Now the king has the ability to put a rebel to death. Now, of course, it's not right, and David hasn't done anything, but he cannot tell people at this point what isn't common knowledge. So, Pasuk Ben. This is what David decides to do. Nov, you'll see, has a few uh, um, uh, advantages for David. One is that he can get to the Urim Betumim, and two is that they have... Um, the sword of Goliath, and Achimelech is the the Kohen Gadol. And it seems as if consulting the Kohen Gadol is David's next move. But when he gets there, David. the word Vayecherad is the same root as Charedi, which is um, trembling. He trembles to greet him. And we saw this expression um, when when Shmuel came to town, like someone's coming to town, a very important person, and it's quite scary because what does it mean? And it's even more confused, confusing for Achimelech. How come you are alone? There's nobody with you. Now, we are very sure from the way Achimelech talks that he has no idea what's been going on with David and Shaul because he's like he's got an honest. First of all, he's afraid because why is this important person coming to my town? What is going on? Something's going on. And not only that, he's coming alone. David was a great general. He was the son-in-law of the king. He never went anywhere by himself. He always had, you know, uh, accompanying soldiers or, or, or officers or whatever. He didn't run around by himself. Why are you by yourself? And David is now in a position where he cannot tell him the truth. And yet lying is a problem. So he says something interesting. So here we have a situation. Okay, and I find this very interesting because we have a few things going on in Pasigim. Well, first of all, he says Achimelech HaKohen. We'll stop a second in a minute and I will talk about who Achimelech is. And he says, the king commanded me something. Now, it's an interesting thing if a person, we have a commandment, Midvar Sheker Tirchak, try to stay away from lying. And the reason that that 
could be our first life lesson. Stay away from lying. It, the reason that should be, uh, it, it doesn't say lo shaker, which might easily be a command, but it doesn't say that. It says stay away from lying. And there is a, discussions in the Gemara in different places about how a person is allowed to alter the truth in order to keep the peace. So here, David has to think large. He has to think, what will happen tomorrow if Achimelech, if, if Shaul finds out that Achimelech helped me? It's better if Achimelech doesn't know anything. So he says, the king's sending me uh, on a thing. And of course, you can interpret king as the king. Melech is sending me somewhere. This is all from God, right? So I see an attempt by David not to lie, not to lie too much. It's a secret mission. No one's allowed to know about it. And that is definitely true. This is a secret mission. If anyone knows where David is, he could be killed. So it's definitely true. And now, this is, we're getting to a real, uh, you know, uh, falsehood here because there are no Na'arim. Achimelech, where, where are your people? Where are the people that go with you? And Achimelech is like concerned, like what's going on here? So David is saying, now listen, I left them somewhere. I, I'm supposed to meet them somewhere. Yodati. Okay, so Yodati is a funny word. Uh, we have the, um, a few different places, but here uh, Rashi says Torah, but um, Mitsuda says Hodati. I let them know. I made a meeting place, if you think of the word Mo'ed. Mo'ed is appointed like Oha Mo'ed, tent of meeting. A Mo'ed is a time of meeting, of getting together. I made a Mo'ed with them to a place called Ploni Almoni. So what is Ploni Almoni? <laughs> Ploni Almoni we saw in Megillat Root, right? Ploni is not, it's not that the name is Ploni Almoni, although in Megillat Root we do theorize that his name is... Um, might be that, but Ploni seems to be derived by the Mepharshim from Pella, which is something that's, you know, uh, not known, and Almoni from the word Elaine, mute, and, uh, you know, to sort of, <laughs> we'll, we'll call it a place that must not be named. Where that must be not, not be named. In other words, if I tell you where we're supposed to meet, so that's going to mess up the secret. So he's giving Ahimelech uh, an idea that he's actually going to meet his crew someplace, Ploni Almoni. Now I want to stop for a second and, and explain who Ahimelech is, because the last time we saw Kohen uh, was back in chapter 14. Um, hmm. Okay, I didn't open up chapter 14 for you, but, but if you recall, at the Battle of Michmas, that says that the Cohen is there and his name is Achia. Achia seems to be the same person as Achimelech. And over there we get the Yichas. Who is Achia? Alias Achimelech. Now, apparently, Eli's two sons, Chafi and Pinchas, right? We met Pinchas' youngest son when, after Pinchas dies, Pinchas' wife goes into uh, labor. And she has a son that she calls a dreadful name of Ikavod. 
disgrace, which is so sad. I actually heard on a, you know, uh, an interesting note that um, people, people who have had uh, children the last couple of weeks have it's been a popular to call them Be'eri after the uh, kibbutz that was um, so devastated. And it's, it reminded me very much of Ikavod, that this child is a memorial to that dreadful event. In any event, um, Ikavod, Ikavod, if you like, Ikavod is the younger son. There are older sons. And one of the older sons is a man by the name of um, Achituv, okay, and Achituv, who is Pinchas's son, he is the father of Achia, Achimelech. So we're dealing with a man who is the great grandson of Eli, if you're with me, Pinchas's grandson. Okay, Pasik Dalid, so David doesn't waste any time. He says, yeah, 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 I've got a mission and I'm leaving my people, but I need food. What have you got? Have you got five loaves of bread? Give my give in my hand, whatever you have. So really, what's the, what's the deal with the five? That's really a strange thing. Um, so we have to figure that perhaps David is kind of hinting that he has four men besides himself. So that's why he needs five uh, breads. But really, what does David need? David needs bread for now, right now, because he's famished and he's fainting. And he also needs bread to take with him because he doesn't want to get into another boneless situation because it's dangerous. So he wants, you know, say the ladera, as we call it, some food to take along. The, the number five is actually very interesting. If we think about David, when he went out to um, kill Goliath, he took five stones. And the five stones, you know, over there, there's so much speculation. Whatever, whatever. He seems to like the number five. And if you look at Sefer Tehillim, Sefer Tehillim is also divided into five books. And they are connected. That is, they are related to the five books of the Chumash. So five seems to be a good number for David. Give me five breads or whatever you've got, plus a cake. David, So we have a problem now. This is going to be a little bit of an issue because the coin says there's just no regular bread here. We, we don't do that, right? We just have holy bread. And it's a city that's full of Kohenim. And um, <laughs> I just remember something funny. One of my students told me, she said she dated a Kohen. And he said, <laughs> Kohen said, girls, the girls like going out with Kohanim, which she found quite funny. I found quite funny. Anyway, it's the whole city's full of Kohanim, and everything that they eat there is holy. It's all Kodesh. What do they eat there? So the first thing is that the Kohen says, like, I don't have ordinary bread to give you. 
Now, they, it's not a situation where they can go to the neighboring town and say, excuse me, we need some bread. Because David is talking about his, uh, you know, he's got a, a mission. He like, he ran out without food. He's got to, you know, he's got to get the food going. It's like, whatever there is, give me whatever there is. And um, and the Cohen makes a comment. We only have uh, Lechem Kodesh. And if I have to give you Lechem Kodesh, because you are fainting, in which case it's Pikuach Nefesh, right? At least I hope you got your guys, your guys are Tahor, which is by way of politely saying, I hope you are Tahor. And when he says you that they're, they sh, um, that they should not have been with a woman, because if they were with a woman, they need to um, go to the mikvah before they can eat the holy bread. So David answers Pasik Okay, uh, we have not we I'm out I'm out on uh, traveling for two for three days already. Yesterday the day before. There's, we haven't there's no women around, it's not an issue. Right? And the the vessels that we are traveling with are themselves holy, right? Now, this gets a little complicated. What exactly is he trying to say here? Right? So, we're trying to understand what is this bread that the Cohen is talking about. In order to, to get this idea, we, we have to, I think, go a few more psukim and then we can examine it. The Kohen gave him holy bread. There was no bread. The only thing that was there was the lechem hapanim that was given over from before God to put hot bread on the day that it was taken. So this is extremely confusing and difficult and you can see that there's a lot of ink spilled here, a lot of discussion. What is going on here? So uh, having looked through the different opinions, it says it seems to clearly say that this is Lechem HaPanim. So let's talk about Lechem HaPanim for a moment. The Mishkan, one of the clay Kodesh in the Mishkan was the Shulchan. I meant to get you a picture of it, but like you probably have seen pictures of the clay Mikdash. We have the 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 altar, the mizbeach. We have the menorah. We have the the mizbeach um, Torah, We have the aron. The shulchan kind of represents, you know, the physical. And six pairs of loaves of bread were put there once a week, fresh, and left out for the week. There was always bread there, and it was. When that, when the fresh bread was made a week later, the fresh bread was was slid into place, and the the table, the shulchan, always had bread. Now, the bread that was uh, removed from the from the shulchan is bread that can be used by the kohanim. So it seems as if this is the bread that we're talking about, but it's not really bread that a non-kohen like David should eat. Right, so he said the only thing is there. There is 
an interesting comment here. Lasun lechem chom biyomi lecho. Rashi says, Rabbeinu amu cham biyomi lecho, gam biyom siduko, cham kiyom siduro. Rashi says in this uh, Gemara that talks about how this is uh, in Yoma, Gemara in Yoma, right? Right here, right? There was another miracle, as Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi said, a great miracle was performed with regard to the showbread of the table in the temple. The bread was as hot as its removal on Shabbat after a week on the table as it was at its arrangement, as it is stated, to put out hot bread on the day it was taken away. The 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 Chazal take from this pasuk um, a hint that the, the lechem upon him had this amazing miracle that when you took the bread it was just as hot as when you put it there. Quite uh, an amazing thing. Anyone who has had any bread in the house for more than two or three days not in the freezer, we know what happens to the bread after two or three days not in the freezer, and that's why lots of bread lands in the freezer. So it's a tremendous miracle that one week later it's hot and fresh. But it has lost a certain level of Kedusha. So what David says here, right? Vehu derechol, it's derechol, it's not, it's not even, this is Bab, it's not really the same kind of Kedusha once it's taken off the Shulchan, but anyway, he says, even if it was put on the table today, I would still need to take it, right? This stuff is, you know, everybody's tahor here, we were, but I can't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I have to eat. And it's interesting, the, the Gemara that talks about this discussion says that if a person has this bulmus disease, whatever that is, that, that, that incredible starvation where, you know, in another moment they're going to die, they're actually allowed to be fed on Yom Kippur. It's also pikuach nefesh, and um, it's, it's quite an interesting discussion. In the meantime, he gets this bread, and we are interrupted in our story for an editorial comment that is extremely important. And there was a man there from the servants of Shaul, held back before God, Ushmo doeg ha'adomi. Abir Haroim Asher Shaul. Doeg, who was the Adomite, okay, we'll talk about that. Abir Haroim Asher Shaul. He was the Abir. Abir is like the, uh, it's interesting, it reminds me of thinking of the, the Hebrew version of the, the man of the Mansha. It's called Abir Milamansha. The high one, the, the prince, the, 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 Officer, the hot, the head of Shaul's um, shepherds. Now we have a problem because you know he can't just have been the head of the shepherds because why is he so important that he gets this whole pasuk? We were being told the Sham Ish Me'avde Shaul, a very important man from the servants of Shaul, and he was held back before God, which means he was there. For some reason, he people left. He stayed. He was serving. He was dominating. He was studying. And this man, Doeg, this is the first time we meet him, actually, and are told his name. But we have met him before. And he is a very important. Let's say, if we talk, talk about all the Roim, 
in terms of the um, the figurative sense, who is Abiro in, right? It says here, Rashi Avbeitin. He was the head of the rabbinical court. He was held back to serve God. Um, and it, the idea that he's Avbeitin is very, very important. Now, the Malbin makes a comment here. It says, um, the Kohen did not get nervous because Doeg was there. And this is a sign that the Kohen had no idea that David's running away. And this does tell us something about Doeg. Now, I, I do want to spend a few minutes on Doeg because he is a very, very important part of the story. First of all, we met Doeg back in chapter uh, 15 when Shaul is supposed to uh, wipe out Amalek. There, we don't know him by name. It says, Shaul says, I didn't kill uh, Agag and the animals. I was afraid of the people. And there, the Mepharshim say, Ha'am Doeg, who was considered so prominent, he was like the rest of the nation. We met Doeg in chapter 16, when one of uh, Shaul's men speaks up. They say, we need a musician. And this person speaks up, one of the young men, and that is the most prominent one, which we're told again, this was also Doeg. And he said, he gave six shvachim for David, which, um, where's that? Okay. It's here. One of, right, the Pasuk says, this is chapter 16, verse 18. I saw someone of the sons of Yishai, and he is so great. He is a musician, which is all we really were looking for. And he's a Gibor Chayel, he's a man of man of valor, and he's a man of war, and he's understanding, and he's good looking, and God is with him. And right, Rabbi Yehuda says, Rav says, Doeg stated this entire verse as malicious speech, it's Lush and Hara, in an attempt to incite Shaul to be jealous of David. He knows how to play. Now, all of this, the Gemara interprets all of the comments about the great David as comments about his greatness in Torah. But at the end, he says, God is with him. Halacha is always like him. So Gemara relates, in response to all these virtues, Shaul said, Yonatan is just like him. But when Doeg said the Lord is with him, um, then Shaul became very jealous. So the Gemara asks, how do we know it was Doeg who said these things? The Gemara says, the most important of them. And it says in our Pasuk today, that was the man, Doeg. Okay, 
going back to our Pasuk. Wait a second, you know what? I want to take a moment, because it's a short parak, and I do think I have a few minutes, but I want to take a moment to, to compare. It's important to understand one of the great things about the stories of David is that we have in Sefer Tehillim many, many um, examples of uh, David's thoughts and his feelings on particular occasions. For example, okay, this is going to be for the later part of here. That's for the end of the parak for here, right? This is chapter 52. Nun bet. This is next, next week's chapter when Doeg uh, tells on Ahimelech that he helped um, David. And David's feelings about it. What are, you, what are you so proud of? You are an evil person. And the Medrash, Medrash says, right? Um, among other things, we're looking for our life lessons. Right? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And in Tilim Lamidalid, which is uh, very much connected, we'll get to that in a few minutes, where um, it's, it's also about this chapter in, in Shmuel Aleph, it says there also, and Doeg is associated with Lashon Hara and with all manner of evil things. And the Gemara in Sota, right? These are the evil people. Um, and the list of them, Kayan, Korach, Bilam, Doeg, Achitofel, Gefazi, Absalom, Adoniyahu, Uziyahu, Haman. These people, well, I, I don't like Uziyahu in there, but also... All of these people wanted something that they did not deserve. And they placed their eyes on that which is unfit for them. Consequently, what they desired was not given to them, and what they had was taken from them. So that was the, the Musser of that story. So Doeg, we have to just think about his motivations for one minute. What's, what's causing him? He is considered a tremendous Torah scholar. That's his problem. And it seems that his motivated by jealousy, this other quote in Taylor where this seems indicated, and he doesn't want Shaul to be too happy with David. He wants Shaul to hate David because he, he's afraid that David will take his place. And he also, want, he's jealous of David's success in every way, and he wants to take him down. So one more thing. Here. There's a whole discussion in the Gemara about like what Doeg and Achitofel. Achitofel is another one of the evil. Achitofel was another one of these evil geniuses. Like Doeg is Shaul's evil genius. He's responsible for so much evil that happens. Um, that Shaul does because he was egging him on the whole way. And Ahitophel is similar. And these two evil people, right, are con connected in the Gemara. And it says here, um, yeah. 
Hashem So Hashem God knows the secrets, right? And God knows who fears him. And the Chazal say, it's a very famous phrase, Rachman Ali Babaya. Let's see it right here, but this is what it is. Doric and Achitophel had the same problem, right? They were intellectual giants, but the Torah only was on the surface. And this is a really, really important life lesson for us. And one of the reasons that we see this um, emphasized in the text, what a terrible person Doeg was and how, uh, how evil and low he falls, and Achitophel as well, because their Torah was separated from their Yira. In other words, Torah is meant to bring you to a certain connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If your heart is closed to God, right, it doesn't matter how much Torah you absorb. It's going to be used for evil. So we're learning a very, very great lesson here that um, the heart has to be connected. The Torah learning has to be for the sake of Hashem. And um, yeah, Joey's going to be, we're going to see a lot of bad stuff from him. And it's interesting, David and Achimelech both see him there. And, you know, David is so stressed and, you know, rushing. And and he sees him there and he knows it's not good. But like, I think, you know, there are people who fault David, like why he's putting Achimelech in danger. And But David is not telling Achimelech anything. And he is, it's probably safe to assume that David thought Whenever Shaul finds out that Achimelech helped him, Achimelech will say, I didn't know, and that will be the end of the story. Unfortunately, it isn't. Now, David has one more thing that he needs. I need a weapon. I didn't take anything with me. I was in such a rush. I was such a hurry. I ran without my stuff, without my people, without my stuff. And um, I don't have a weapon. I need a weapon. And the coin is, I mean, the coin is by now probably getting weirded out because this whole conversation is bizarre. But he says, look, the only weapon that's here is the sword of Goliath that you killed in Emekaela. Now, there's no reason for Kohanim to have weapons in the, you know, in their mini Mishkan here. But why is the sword of Goliath there? The sword is kind of a monument to the miracle. However, if anyone has a right to use Goliath's sword, it's definitely David, right? And we have this interesting story. He lutaba simla. It is wrapped up by Yolet. Uh, Elio wraps himself in his aderet. It's wrapped up in a simla, in a garment, behind the ephod. And that seems very strange, right? And so the Chazal say this is an indication that it's... It's part of this story is that David went to the aphod that he asked the Kohen Gadol to consult God for him. And um, it's important that he doesn't give he doesn't give 
Achimelech had the fake stories. He said, I have a secret mission. So then he can ask, you know, the Urim Betumim with through the Kohen, and the Kohen doesn't have to know. He says, will I be Matzliach on my mission? And where should I go? And whatever else he needs to ask, and the Kohen doesn't know really what's going on. Meantime, he, he says, if you want that sword, okay, take it. It seems as if the, the Kohen is reluctant for some reason to let it go. And um, different theories about that. The Bible has a very interesting theory. He says the, the sword of someone who, uh, who was killed is bad luck. And it's just an interesting thing. And Dub is like, no, no, not, not bad luck for me. I'm good. Okay. Oh, wait. Let me okay. Um, so he takes the sword of Belia. If you recall, he used the sword. We, don't, we have the, the, the description in chapter 17 of David's armor, uh, of, of Goliath's armor. We don't really talk about the sword, but it must have been a kind of very serious thing. David said, oh, that's a good one. Give me that. And, okay. Pasekidaf. Now we're going to a different situation. That was a story with Achimelech. The consequences of that episode are only going to happen in the next chapter, which is uh, quite um, dramatic, shall we say. But now David still has to run away. And it's so bizarre, if you think about it. The king of God, really? Okay, let's look at our map. I want you to see what's going on here. So here is Rishalayim. Here is probably Nov. Gat is all the way in Pushti territory in the same accursed region that we're dealing with today. Aza. And Gat is right there. So Gat is probably the chief city of the five cities. And we talked about this back in chapter four, five, and six about the Pushtim, and it's very interesting because at that time, they did not have a king. If you recall, they had five sranim. They had, like, officers. So the Dat Mikra theorizes that the chief city, their seren, was also called a king. And his name is Achish. Now, if you look at Tehillim 34, right, the David, the Shanotoetah, Molef Nehavi, Melech, Vayelach. Now, this is the Perek that um, our story is based on in chapter 21. And it's interesting here, I want you to notice that he's called Avimelech. The David Bishana, this is a, one of the Tilm that we say Shabbos morning in the Pesukah de Zim was added in. And so you might be familiar with this particular one. The David Bishana Tota Avimelech by Gershehu Bayelach. He changed his, his nature before Avimelech, and he he led he sent him away. By the way, um, just we'll get back to the parak. I just want to show you this particular parak is Aleph Bet. It's such an interesting thing. He's in such a tough place when he goes to God, and we'll see, but. 
he is so full of Amuna. He's so full of Amuna. You see also in um, Nun Bav. Um, Another Paraktelem, 56, which also reflects um, this uh, situation, right? At the time of the mute dove, right? Dove is a mute dove when he gets there, when the Plishtim are holding him in Gat. It's all about him and God. And one of the things that you know, we always have to remember when you're learning Shmuel is to check out the Tehillim and see what is the feeling at these times. It's very, very fascinating. Um, okay. Now, I, I did show you one more parrot that's Nunbet, where he talks about Doeg. So all of these incidents that we see at the end of uh, the, the, the last third, shall we say, of Shmuel Aleph, David, David's emotions and feelings are coming through. He comes to Achish, the king of Ba'at, also known as Avimelech. And just uh, as a side note, it seems from the, the Chazal that Avimelech was a generic term for kings of this area, as Paro is a generic term for the different kings of Egypt, of Mitzrayim. And if you recall, when was the last time we met a king named Avimelech in Gerar? Back in the Chumash, Avraham, Yitzchak, they have dealings with Abimelech. And those Abimelech seem to be reasonable people. If you think about it, when, when, um, when you look at the map here, this whole area that was Plishti territory, Philistines, which they took that name for Palestine, just saying. Okay, they came over the Mediterranean from uh, Greece. And so... The first wave was in the time of the Chumash, and they were fairly benign. The second wave happens in the time of the judges, and that's a very belligerent wave. So they're not the same. But he is called Abimelech in the Tehillim, which is very interesting. And we're not finished with Achish after this episode. You're still um, going to see him later in chapter 27, I think. Okay. Masekid Bet. He turns up, and don't forget, Whose sword is he running around with? Goliath of Gat. This is their this is their guy. Pasikibet, but young one day Achishelab. Hello, said David Melcharit. What have you got here? It's David, the king of the land. Hello, Zeya Anubam Cholotle more. He kasha ol balafab with David Rivotan. I remember that little ditty that the women made up that drove Shaul so crazy back in chapter 18. Right? Shaul killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This is him. Look who he, this is what they talk. And it's so interesting. No internet in those days. But over there in Plishti land, they knew that song. And don't forget the same David who killed Goliath of God. He killed 200 Philistines to marry the king's daughter and took their foreskins. It was not, it should not be a good place for David to go. David was like, oh, oh, they're on to me. This is not good. Don't forget, there were no wanted posters. He might have thought that no one would recognize him, but they certainly do. And this is what we saw in the Tillam, right? He changed his ta'am. Now, ta'am means taste or reason. He changed himself 
in their eyes. And he, 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 he acted foolishly in their hands. Now, it's not clear if he wrote, actually wrote or he scratched out on the doors of the gate. But Yorid rerolls Kanel and his spit uh, went down into his beard. He, he looked like a lunatic. He, he scribbled on the walls and he raved and he, and he you know, slobbered and like, you know, he says, Why are you bringing me this man? He's in that case. Why are you bringing him here? This is the last Pasuk in the parak. We'll go back and, and talk about this. Do I need any more Meshuganas? That you brought this Meshugana to me? This guy's going to come to my house? Okay. It's a very, very interesting kind of uh, situation that happens with at this point with Achish, also known as Abimelech. So we need to look at the Medrash. Uh, here. Okay, there's two principles that the Medrash focuses on. One is, God made everything correct, beautiful in its time. And the other principle further down here, a person who despises something will end up, you know, needing it. And these two principles are in this very beautiful medrash. Amar of Tarhuma. Let's just skip this a little bit. Amar of A lot of stuff in the medrash here. The varachir. It had kol God made everything beautiful. It's time. Kol mashe asaka is baruch ubiito. Okay. It's a kol asayefa. Kol mashe asaka is baruch ubiito. Amar David lefnei kadosh baruch David said to Hashem, "Kol ma'ashasita yafeh, v'ha'chachma yafah min hakol." David said, "Everything you made is great, and wisdom is the greatest thing that you made." V'cheinu omer, "Marabu masach Hashem, kula mechachma asita." This is Tehillim one hundred and four, the Baruch Hinashi that we say in Rosh Chodesh. "Kol ma'ashasita yafeh asita aval hashtud, shtud nonsense." What good is, is craziness? A man walks in the thing and he rips his clothes. And today, I have to say that I don't really get why people walk around with ripped clothes. They pay money for that. But okay. A man walks in the shuk with ripped clothes and the children run after him and people laugh at him. Is this a nice thing, God? Why? Why? You don't think you're challenging me that the madness is, is not a good thing? Right? By your life, you will need that. You will need it. And what happened? The, when Karish David found himself in this tight spot with Achish, right? Yesterday, you killed, or previously you killed Goliath, 
and his brothers and guard the guardians uh, the guardians of Achish, and his blood hasn't yet been absorbed in the land, and you're going to to them with his sword in your hand. When they said to him, they said, "This is David. He killed our brother." Now it's Achish is very interesting. Very interesting. Medrash Achish says. Wait a minute, it was, it was a war, it was a fair fight. They had a duel, they had Tanaim conditions, it was all set up, and he had every right to kill him, right? He said, if you could kill me, so kill me. So they said, okay, if you want to keep all the Tanaim, the conditions, if you remember in chapter 17, the condition was that if David wins the battle, he rules over the Pushtim. So maybe you should get off your throne, Achish, and let him be Melacharit, though. Expression Melech Aretz, the the Medrash um, uh, is Medayik here. It's it's specifying that he's Melech Aretz a Pushtim. He's he should be in charge here if you're going to go by that. So Achish backtracks a little bit, and then right we should be as slaves. And then uh, Achish said, "Oh, because Achish is interesting. Achish is trying to find a way to forgive David, and Goliath's brothers are like, no, we want his blood." And David, David, and this is again another of our big lessons. And Muna, David, in all these situations, he davens and he trusts God and he and he asks God for help. It's And Shem says, "What do you want?" He says, "Give me some of that shtut." Remember, I didn't like madness, but I think now would be a really appropriate situation. I told you you would need it. I'll give it to you. And that's when he started doing his shtick. And right, he made himself like a fool. And he wrote what, it doesn't say the text what he wrote, but the Medrash says he wrote, <laughs> the king of God owes me millions of dollars. He owes, his wife owes me half a million. And what Medrash also elaborates, that Achish's daughter and her mother were both nuts. And they would scream inside and rave. And David was screaming and raving outside. And Achish said, do you think I'm missing Meshuggah and my wife and my daughter also Meshuggah? At that point, David was happy that the Shtut uh, came out. And this happiness caused him to write this Tilim Lamedal. It's beautiful. One of my favorites. Beautiful. Actually, I have a lot of favorites. And Akadosh Baruch Hu David, it was a good thing I gave you that. And he says, I have to thank you, God, for at all times. And um, so we have this very, very interesting medrash. And a few things that we should uh, take away, of course. The idea that um, you should realize that everything God makes is for a purpose. And there's a time when you'll need it. The Mishnah says, um, don't despise any person and don't um, uh, dismiss anything because every person has their hour and everything um, is necessary at some point. So very beautiful medrash. We have to ask ourselves, why did David think that going to God was a good option under the circumstances, he's definitely going to be uh, unwelcome in God, to say the least. It seems as if 
the enemy of my enemy is my friend situation. Since the Plushtim are fighting with Shaul, if David could present himself as also fighting with Shaul, we see this much later in later chapters when he associates again with Achish, Achish is willing to overlook the small matter of the 200 uh, Plushtim foreskins and the killing of Goliath, and he's willing to do business with Dovin. Dovin doesn't have a lot of choices now because he has to get out of the uh, territory of Shaul. And um, this is going to make for some very sad and interesting stories. And um, yeah. Okay. Um, let's stop the screen share. Okay, I think we're out of time. I don't know exactly what time. Anybody have any questions? You can unmute yourselves if you have something to to ask or to comment. Okay. Thank you, Mommy. You're welcome. And that's really where I hear I'm sorry, you're muted, Ruthie. Unmute. For some reason, you're muted. Can't hear you. God, it's interesting. What, what, were you trying to say that that's where that girl No, was? I was, yeah, I was saying, you mentioned Kiryat God and Ad Hayom Hazeh, we have Kiryat God and that, and that's where that soldier was was from. At Ori Magidish. was yeah. a very happy moment. Celebrations yesterday, everybody dancing in the streets that Marie was free. And uh, they rescued her. And we, I said it was a nice, it was a first nice. We need another 240 Nisim. That's Rats Hashem. Yeah. And we're learning and we're davening and all the chesed to be a big schlit for Amisrael that we should see. Men, men. Men. For, these, for these chayalim that are standing there fighting for us and their little kids themselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> who should watch over them and bring them home safely. Amen. 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 Hornet's yeah. nest over there. The hornet's nest got to be cleared out. It's very sad that it came to this. It's really sad. They should not have let it go like this, you know. Well, you know, speaking of uh, David Hamelech, when you I was reading to Helen today. What did you say, Lana? Um I said that speaking of David HaMelech and reading Tehillim today, there's so many things that he writes that you feel like are so um, almost happening today, almost like history is literally repeating itself. Like you feel like half the Psukim are talking to us as if they're literally happening right now. It's like, it's crazy. Uh, I don't know. I was just like reading some of the Psukim about, you know, um, Hamas and all these different things and it was just like incredible like yeah. uh, specifically today for Yom Shlishi I'm sure like other days as well but it was just very anyway very interesting 
it is, and you know, it's somehow anything you're feeling is in there, expressed beautifully and poetically. Like it's it's really good times, bad times, scary times, and the yeah. the Lama Dalit, Lama Dalit, where it's you know the whole is in there. The whole, you know, person has to stay away from Lush and Hara. I can get a chance to give you all the Midrashim about Doeg and Lush and Hara. So maybe we'll have time in the Chafet next week. But it's all in there. And it's all, with so much Amun there. Chonem Allah Hashem Hashem has his Malachim surrounding those who fear him. I remember a very strange story. I seem to recall that a girl in South Africa was being followed by some very scary types, and she was saying that tefillah, you know, mini Michal, Mismoli Gabriel, Afana Eliel, Achora Rifal, This is she was dominant because she was frightened of these people, and they never bothered her and afterwards this this is the story I heard which was stuck in my mind afterwards they they asked them like you know they arrested them or something they were criminal they said why didn't you know you're right there why didn't you attack that girl they said well what do you mean she had like four big bodyguards it's quite a strange story the girl was alone so Shem has his angels out there, so hopefully he will surround his people, those angels, and um, take them out of their tzara, bring them home, bring them back. Yeah. You know, I feel like Moshe Rabbeinu, who was one of our all-time Jewish lawyers, he told us, Shem, yeah, what will be with your great name? We are in a place where the Chil Hashem is so great. The the Jews have become the punching ball of the entire world. And that is tremendous Chil Hashem. So, you know, I say to Hashem, like, you know, you have to bring up your Kavod and our Kavod is your Kavod. So I really hope as Hashem. But we're definitely living in really crazy times. Tough times. Yeah. And that's why when I was looking at it, I said, oh, I have to find for these particular pocket, I have to find the the corresponding Mismorim. And then, you know, like the first one um, um was in different order, but in Nun Vav, David is like asking Hashem for help. But in Lamed Dalid, where like it seems to be he's so full of praise for his Amuna, Hashem saves him, puts his trust in God and not in anything else. And that's, I think, one of the great lessons that we always have to internalize is to put our trust in God. I don't know. I, I, I'm just very optimistic, even though things are really scary and terrible. But when I see, you know, the the people who are doing things for each other and the 
the outpouring of chesed and that beautiful, you know, the, the celebration in Kiryat God, all of the types of Jews were out there singing to our Kodesh Baruch Hu. Thank you. Did, did you did you take note that that the um, the family of this Ori said that they brought a Sefer Torah into her room and they did Hafrashat Chalah and they were saying to Hillam around the clock and every other word was Bezrat Hashem Yishtabach Shemo and every word was Hashem's name that was so impressive it was just so like that's the only way to win is if you put god did you see the mother doing the hafrashat chala the day before and she's saying don't let me down i was like you could watch it without falling don't let me down god you know it was uh amazing and then all those the chasidim and the Amcha and everybody just dancing in the streets. It's beautiful, but I and I and I and I really I don't want to like, you know, say anything negative. But I think that we also have to remember that there's a lot of women out there that did afrashat chala and daven to Hashem and didn't get their loved ones back. So I think that we have to just remember that obviously we're all davening; they should come back. But we should remember that even if we're saying the Tehillim and we're doing all the good things, that it, it's not wasted. We don't always understand Hashem's chesed, and we don't understand why certain things have to happen. But like, it's still an extension of chesed, you know. There's so, a in that parak, Lamed Nun Vav, Nun Vav, and it's just the most beautiful thing ever. Where David Melch says, Nodi Safarta Ata, Sima Demati Binodecha. And um, he says, Hashem, I count, Nodi uh, Safarta, count my wanderings and put my tears in your flask. There's like an amazing, beautiful story in the book at Sadiq in Our Time, where this widow comes to Raya Levine and she's Please daven for my husband. He's so sick. And he says, I'll daven. And then she comes back crying. Her husband passed away. And Ravi is so sad. He's so sorry. He says, you know, he, he says, please stop crying. He's crying and crying. He says, stop crying. And she says, just tell me what happened to all my tears and all my tears and all my davening. Just, you know, because he wasn't saved. It went to waste. And he said... No, he said he's, you know, taking off from this pasuk and tell him, he says, cancel your tears, cancel the tears. He puts them in his flask and he uses them to save the Jewish people from terrible decrees. And of course, the poor woman was crying even more to think about that. She said, really? And that's that's really the mentor says, and who counts those tears and uses them to save us from terrible decrees. So, yeah, yeah one of my uh, favorite but sad stories. But yeah, but we'll all take what we can get in terms of happy news for sure. Yeah, that, that was a big relief. It was also that, 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 that Rachel Edry, you know, for Kim, like, there was a happy ending to that story. I mean, uh, you know, she and her husband were saved. 
So I think the whole country just seized on that. Like everyone made a whole big fuss over it. And you know, she became a national heroine. Standing Jewish mother stuff. Would you like, would you like some cookies? <laughs> so I think that, uh, yeah, you gotta hang on to the good stuff and keep davening. And, Cause that's a shame. You know, I feel like we're in the Purim story, you know, and we're in the Hanukkah story. And by the time we get to Hanukkah, we're going to see light. There's a beautiful medrash about um, the times of Mashiach. And uh, someone sent a, a little bit of that to one of my group chats. And if you, how's it go? Reuba Ori Azareach. Last night, that this girl, her name is Ori, Reuba Ori, as I read, that see my Ori is shining. And, uh, you know, the Gula comes slowly, slowly, it says, but you'll see the light beginning to shine. So, halabai. Halabai, you should all see Nisim and Niflot and Yeshua said, Hamas. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, ladies. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mommy. Thank you. Bye. Good night, everyone. Keep diving, guys. Keep learning. We will. We will. All right. Bye bye.